As we began the discourse in Joel, we brought forth, I'm going to bring this to your remembrance again, we brought forth the fact that Peter, speaking on the day of Pentecost when those men were preaching that day by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and all understood in their own tongue, Peter said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now, as we began the book of Joel, just to bring this text to you from what Peter said and the time it was and what the text is about, the New Testament church. As we began chapter 1, we saw God telling those of Judea what was going to happen to them. And why? Because of their sin and rebellion against God. And we saw God telling us as far as the church goes, which is called Judah because we're all Jew in the eyes of God, His people are. And Jerusalem being a type of the church, the kingdom of God in the world. And God said He would restore to Judah the people of God and Jerusalem the church of God that which had been destroyed. This is just very briefly reviewing where we've been. And He would pour out His Spirit in that day upon the handmaids, your sons, your daughters, old men, and young men alike. And we came down to the beginning of chapter 3 where God speaks very briefly of the destruction of those who had killed and abused and shed the blood and held captive His people in Jerusalem in the church. I said this twice, I believe, already. Every time God judges the wicked, the children of God are judged in righteousness. Meaning that God redeems us. God... God redeemed us in Christ permanently. But as God gives us place to walk among those that stand by in this world, that God gives us place in the kingdom here in this world where we may live and worship our Lord and our Savior. Now last week, we got down to uh, assembling ourselves and Speaking of Jehoshaphat and the sickle, I'm going to pick up on verse 9 because that's the beginning of this text and I want to go back over some of that and we will go a little farther. Hopefully finish the book today. The Holy Spirit, proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Now we were Gentiles according to the flesh. We were without God in the world. The Apostle Paul quotes this in the Ephesian letter. But these Gentiles are talking about those in the world, and we still see them today in mass numbers, who resist God, who reject God, who reject the Son of God, Many not even being God's children. Now, I say many because sometimes God's children walk in disobedience. We all do until we're quickened of the Spirit of God and given life. This is primarily speaking of the enemies of God and God's people. This is also going to be speaking of those in Judea. And I hope if God will bless me to prove that. Proclaim you this among the Gentiles. He's talking to a people that hated God, that had held His people captive. He's talking to those in the law service who were the rulers of God's people. Gil refers this to Armageddon. Others refer it to the last day. We'll get into that in just a moment, Lord willing. I go back to Peter. This is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel. This is pertaining to the kingdom of God in the world, the establishment of the New Testament church, which is built upon the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's the chief cornerstone. 
The foundation is laid from the chief cornerstone of the apostles and prophets, that's the New Testament church, who came preaching from the law, Jesus Christ, and who wrote the books of the New Testament which testify of Jesus Christ. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. God is speaking to these enemies. These men who were leaders of people, these men who much like we see today boasted of their righteousness, boasted of their power. I could not help but think of Pharaoh as we talk about that. They boasted of their glory Had they had their way, they would have removed the name of God from every child of God's heart, soul, and being, but that cannot be done. God is speaking to these people because they have resisted Him. Now, we're talking about Jews here also, okay? The religious elite among the Jews who lived one way and told... God's people to live another way. That's why Jesus said, do what they tell you to do, but don't do as they do. He said, proclaim you this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. We are told in Scripture to be our swords and to plowshares. We're told just the opposite of what these people are doing. We dwell in a kingdom. God is our King. Christ is our King. He gives us peace. He fights our battles for us. He defeats our enemies. He restrains our enemies. He did in that day. He does today. We may not even see it or realize it or know it does not change the fact that God blesses His people every day. And that God sustains and carries His saints that He brings into the church every single day. No matter what our enemy is doing outside, God is telling these people who hate Him, and therefore they hate you, the words of a southern man would be, bring it. Get the best you got and bring it. God is saying, prepare war. Wake up your mighty men, your soldiers, your armies, whether it's the Roman army or or, or the Greeks or Medes, Persians, whoever. Bring them. Let all your men of war draw near. Bring your whole army. Let them come up. Come against me with the best you've got. Beat your plowshares into swords. Make you weapons. The weapons of man brings to mind David as he was sent before the giant. And Saul would put him in his armor, the mighty armor that man made to protect them from weapons of war. David said, I'll just, I'll not have that. I'll stay with the armor of God. I'll stay with what kept me and protected me from the bear and from the lion. I trust in God and God alone. I trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior who loved me before the world was, who died for me and will raise me up. These men are told this army of wickedness, this army of evil, and we're surrounded by wickedness on the world. He says, beat your plowshares plowshares into sowers and your pruning hooks, which they were supposed to use to prune and to harvest, into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Bring all of your people. And regarding a child of God, when we are weak, Christ is our strength. We are weak. We have always been weak because we are but flesh and sinners by nature. Christ is our strength. Christ gives us life. Christ carries us. Christ leads us. Christ protects us. He puts a hedge around us. Draw near. Let all His enemy come up. 
And he says, assemble yourselves, speaking to the armies of the wicked. And come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Every one of you come before me, my foes, my enemies, those who persecute and kill my people. Come on, bring it on. Bring it on. Because you're going to fall. Assemble yourselves and come, all you heathen. Gather yourselves together round about. Thither calls thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. The prophet is praying to God to send the mighty from heaven down. Just as one angel, as I mentioned a week or so back, destroyed over 120,000 of the Syrians in one night as they approached Jerusalem. But let me tell you something. There are angels in this world. There are those that we cannot see. The psalmist said, the angel of the Lord campeth around them that fear Him. If we could see the things around us which are invisible to the eye of flesh, we're not allowed to see them. We cannot see them. If we did see them, we could not stand it. If things in heaven or above are unlawful to be uttered, how could we expect to see them while we live in this body of flesh? But when we leave this body, we shall. But the heathen is praying. Well, let me tell you who God sent down. It was Christ, the angel of the Lord. And it's He that fights for us today. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles chapter 20. We spoke of Jehoshaphat and the armies, Ammonites and Moabites that surrounded Israel and how God caused them God fought their battle. They did not have to fight at all. God fought their battle. They came forth into the valley of Jehoshaphat. The name means God judges. God judges and their God judged them. God calls the Ammonites and the Moabites to fall on their own sword, to turn against each other, to destroy each other, and to kill each other. And I tell you today that with all the wickedness in the world, God will use the own, His enemies' own means, own devices to destroy them. Because God is able to do that. And He's justified wholly when He does. He said, let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I, God, well, there will I, Christ, sit to judge all the heathen round about. I think it's Isaiah 63. Who is this? Cometh from Bazrah with garments dyed in blood. That blood is the blood of his enemies. Man has drawn a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ of being this long haired, weak, feeble being that was taken and abused and killed. He has to have help. He's all love. He loves everything and everyone. That is contrary to Scripture when the very Word of God itself teaches Jacob, have I loved yet Esau, have I hated. When Christ turns to the wicked, Matthew 25, 31, depart from Me ye everlasting... You wicked, unto everlasting fire prepared to the devil and the things. That is Christ judging. As enemies fall and turn on each other as they did with the Ammonites and the Moabites in the judgment of God, that is Christ judging. That is the Son of God. I say that to make a point to you that God loves His people. And God loves righteousness. God hates the wicked. God hates the wickedness. God will judge the wicked. He will give us place to stand, to walk among those that stand by. In that text, there was the priest there before the Father, and there was Satan standing in his right hand to resist him. God gives us place to walk in this world as we live amongst the wicked. God defeats His enemies. God judges them and God judges us. Said last week, said again, God judges the wicked in wrath and conviction and punishment. God judges His people in love, teaching us and leading us and guiding us. I'm going to go ahead and go to Isaiah 2, 
for just a moment. This will fit in here and I'll get back to it in a moment. To give you an idea and proof of what the Scriptures say. This is Isaiah chapter 2. I'll begin in verse 1 and go to 4. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah... God's people, and Jerusalem, the church. And it shall come to pass in the last days. We are living in the last days. Many people teach about the last days are coming, there's going to be a rapture, and and all of these false teachings which have come about. The rapture means a resurrection. And there will be a rapture. It will be on the day of judgment, and every child of God will be gathered unto Christ and stand in His grace. And all the wicked will be separated. And they will be judged according to their works. Now let me make this plain. If a child of God was judged by His works, by my works, me, I'd be condemned to hell. We're judged in the grace of Christ. We're judged because the blood of Christ is upon us and therefore that sin debt is paid. God sees it no more. But to the wicked, they're judged and banished to the lake fire. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days, we're living in the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house, this is Zion, David took the stronghold of Zion, this is Jerusalem, the holy city. Remember going through Revelation 14, and the Lamb stood upon the Mount Zion, and with Him 144,000, that's the remnant of God's people that God brings and sustains in the church for no other purpose. First of all, that it pleased Him, but the purpose being to glorify the Holy Son of God who loved us with an everlasting love and came to this world and suffered and bled and died for us and raised up for our justification and has ascended back to the right hand of the Majesty on high where He forever maketh intercession for the saints and where He prepares for us a mansion. Not just a house, a mansion. I live in the Jim Walter house, built the thing on the end, the, uh, a bedroom, and they said Linda had cancer, and she did not, but we built a big bedroom and bathroom there and an upstairs. Some people wouldn't live in a house like that. I'm very thankful for it. I love my house. I brought up children there. Grandchildren come there. I'm quite content and happy with it. But that's not a mansion. We don't have anything to compare with the mansion Christ built for us in glory. When I was a child, a man that used to come up to our farm a lot lived in Mountain Brook. He had a house to me like a castle. I thought, what a mansion! That would not compare to the mansion that Christ is preparing for us in heaven and immortal glory. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. The very tip-top, exalted in Christ, who God hath exalted above all things. And we'll be with Him. And shall be exalted above the hills in all nations. Gentiles in the flesh. Not just Israel which by the way had ceased to exist, but yet God spoke of them as they are. Not just Judah and Jerusalem, but all nations, Jew and Gentile alike, the elect of God from the four corners of the earth shall flow into it. That's not saying that every child of God's coming into the church. We've all, if we're born of the Spirit of God, have the ability to come into the church. But our nature while we live in this body of flesh is sinful Adam. That's this body that must be laid down and changed. If God did not sustain a remnant of His people in the church, there would be no church, okay? It's all in grace. It's all in Christ. Now, how we live and act in the church has a lot to do with how many God adds daily. We need to be, as we're going to talk about in a moment, praying the Lord would add unto the harvest. Send forth laborers. But He says, and many people shall go and say, Gentiles flowing into the church, here, 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 four corners of the earth, come ye 
and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. That's what we ought to be saying. That's what we ought to be praying. How long has it been since you had people ask you, come let's go to church. Come go to church with me. When I was a child, and the world was no different. It was wicked. It's been wicked since Adam sinned. There's been death in the world and murder and violence since Cain slew Abel. But I can remember as a boy, even in school, come go to church with me, children would say. You don't hear that anymore. If we are to occupy the kingdom and we do not care to share the Lord's blessing with the Lord's people, how can we expect God to bless us even more so? And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us His ways. How does He teach us? By His Holy Spirit and by the preaching of the Gospel. The word preach means to teach. And we will walk in His paths. We're not going to gain perfection. Not while we live in this body of sin in this world. We're all sinners. Satan walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He knows your weaknesses. He hits you with your weaknesses. He attacks the institutions of God, the family, and the church. That's evident from looking around the world today. He's saying we will walk in His path. We'll strive to walk with Christ as the hedges around us. As the fiery darts of the wicked are are kept away by the armor of God. For out of Zion, there's the church, there's the Lamb of God standing upon Mount Zion, shall go forth the law, that is Christ, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's the church. This is where the word of God is preached. And it is one thing, Christ Christ, Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Christ, the Creator of heaven and earth, the living Word by which the worlds were framed, the One who died for us, was made flesh, the One who walks with us today, the One who is in heaven and immortal glory, once again preparing a place for us. And He shall judge among the nations, Gentiles, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. We don't fight battles like that. You see the battles in history. You see the, the, the ones in the Middle East today from Ishmael that fight, 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 fight. That's all they do. We talked last week about Tyre and Zidon and the Philistines. The Philistines are still there fighting. Palestinians, they're still there fighting. That's all they do. And you know the sons of Ishmael are because... God said He would be a wild man. His hand would be against every man and every man's hand against Him. And He would dwell in the presence of His brethren. All these people wasted time, money, and effort trying to bring peace in the Middle East when it will never be. Because God said that. He shall judge among the nations, shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. This is the church of God. We do not fight with weapons. We fight with the Spirit of God, the sword of the Spirit. God fights for us just as He did in the valley of Jehoshaphat, which by the way is the valley of Kidron, which I mentioned last week with all the cemeteries and dead bodies and garbage and trash and rubbish that was thrown into that valley showing us what Christ walked through, what Christ endured, and what He brought us through. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, as we are to break up fallow ground that which our forefathers in the true church of God hath broken up before. If we want to be fruitful, we must preach nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Everything in Scripture is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's spears and the pruning hooks. There's a gathering. There's a cutting off and there's a gathering. There's a drawing together. Ridding, purging of wickedness and sin. God does that. 
nation shall not lift up sword against any against nation in the church, in the church, not in the world, neither shall they learn war anymore. We preach to the militant church how to fight a spiritual battle. If you don't know God, if you don't know love God, I can do absolutely nothing for you. If God hath not given you life, I can do absolutely nothing for you. But if God has given you life, by the grace of God, being enabled of God, with the duty that God gave, I can do something for you. I can teach you the Gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And He is peace to His people. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light. Now let's go back to Joel very quickly. I think I was in verse 11. Assemble yourselves and come all ye heathen, gather yourselves round together round about thither cause the mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened. And come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, judgment, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Now, verse 13, Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. told you last week was going to Matthew 13. Let's go there. We'll find a parable. A parable is not letter for letter, word for word, intact. A parable is teaching a lesson of an example and giving us a picture of a truth through it. If you begin in verse 24 of Matthew 13, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up, and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field, from whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, a gathering, a harvest, I will say unto the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat in my garner. The husbandman planted the field. An enemy came in and planted tares among the wheat. This is a parable. Do not think because of this parable that Satan can create or overrule God or anything else. This is a parable. This is a picture. We understand that when God created all things good and upright, that Satan beguiled Eve, Adam rebelled through Satan against God and sin and death entered the world. There's our enemies. Okay? Let's go to verse 37 where Christ explains this parable very briefly. He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, that is Christ. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. And the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. Catch this. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. What does Jesus say to the wicked? Depart from me, you cursed, and their everlasting fire. 
all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father in heaven and immortal glory, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. You must rightly divide the word of truth. This is not a novel. This is not a newspaper. The Bible has to be prayerfully studied and God gives increase. Hear little, there little. Study, study, study. Take everything in context. Jesus said this context is about the end of the world. That teaches me that there will be a harvest at the end of the world. Revelation 20, 1 Thessalonians 4, Matthew 25, 31. He will set His sheep on His right hand. He, Christ, in judgment, will set the goats on the left. Okay, there is a harvest which is the end of the world. Matthew 3. I think I read this last week. If I did not, I meant to. When John the Baptist was baptizing in the river Jordan, but when he saw verse 7, Matthew 3, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, religious elite, come to his baptism, he said, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance, and think not to save within yourselves. We have Abraham to our father. With Abraham and Moses, that's who they looked to, not God. They looked to themselves in flesh. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. There's the purging. He says on down here, He says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after Me, Christ, is mightier than I, the Creator of heaven and earth, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. If you read the book of Ruth, you see that Christ is our near kinsman. And to seal the covenant, the shoe would be taken off and handed to another. John said, I'm not worthy to unloose His shoes. And then he says, whose fan is in His hand, and He will truly purge His floor His floor, His kingdom, His vineyard, His people, His sheep, and gather His wheat into the garner, but He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now there is a gathering which could pertain to Matthew 13. But as Peter said, and we're about to see, It pertains more so and in the text in Joel to this day. There's a gathering. Every time we see a revival amongst God's people, it comes by the preaching of the election of grace and it comes by the hand of God. God gathers his people. Mentioned the Reformation last week. God sent them. What do they call it? A Reformation. God sent them truth. He delivered them from those which hid the truth. There was a revival. True doctrine was taught. There was a harvest, so to speak. There was a gathering of God's people. There was revival in the church by the hand of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. We ought to be praying daily, Lord, send laborers into the vineyard. For Thou hast told us the harvest is ripe. It's ready to be picked. Send laborers to preach the Gospel. May Thy will be done, Thy kingdom come. Send laborers into the vineyard. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. We talked about Revelation 14 and the harvest there and the blood 
and the destruction of Jerusalem, which would come up to the bridles of the horses with such destruction as God destroyed the wicked there. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. God had them all there. I thought about this last week. I was sitting on the power line, and there was about a dozen buzzards, and they were just staying in one place. They'd fly around, they'd all gather up, and they'd look down, they'd fly around. I thought for sure they were going to eat something. But this brought this to mind from Matthew 24. Where the carcass is, there shall the eagles be gathered together. God had all those wicked among the Jews gathered there for the Passover and destroyed them by the Roman army. That's what Matthew 24 is teaching us about. He said, when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, that has already been done. Jerusalem was destroyed. When you therefore see, verse 15, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, that is speaking of the time when the Romans would raise up a pagan altar in blasphemy against God out of hatred for the Jews in the very temple of God, and God would destroy it. But he said, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. The holy place is where the high priest went in. That symbolizes to us Christ, our high priest. Stand in Christ. He said, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. He's telling them there's going to be great tribulation as was not since the beginning of the world of this time. No, nor ever shall be. This was the time when God poured out His wrath upon those who said, Let His blood be upon us and our children as for this man Christ. Crucify Him. There's never been a time like that. There never will be. All these folks running around teaching you that there's a time to come when there's going to be the worst tribulation of the world. They're mistaken. They're either deceived or they're lying. One of the two. There's no other way. And he goes on down and he says what I quoted in verse 8, or tried to quote, for wheresoever the carcass is, there the eagles be gathered together. God had them all there and God poured out His wrath upon them. Let me get my marker. What is my place? I'm giving you examples of a harvest of a gathering, of a sickle worth gathered. He's either gathering His enemies for destruction or He's gathering His people unto life in the kingdom of God. Then He says, The Son, a multitudes, multitudes, well, let me back up, get you down for the press, put you in the sickle for the harvest is ripe, come get you down for the press is full, the fats overflow for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. God's not making a decision. God's decision was never made in the realm of eternity. His decision, His purpose is eternal. Period. What the prophet is saying is that the work of God, His purpose, is revealed to us. Israel when it was one nation and after it was rent because of sin of leaders considered themselves the kingdom of God, the people of God. They were a type of God's elect. God, for that time the law, loved them and kept them. That's why Paul said, 
that the revelation which has been kept secret from the foundation of the world is now revealed unto us. How is it revealed? By the Spirit of God and the preaching of the Gospel. That God has a people from all people and has always had a people from all people, from every tongue of people, from the foundation, from before the foundation of the world, the eternal purpose of God. Each and every one of them chosen of God. Each and every one given to the Son. Each and every one of them standing in the blood of Christ and salvation being redeemed and will be given life at some point between conception and death, be changed, and will everyone stand in heaven and immortal glory and inherit these mansions that Christ is building for us. Why do we care about this world? We've got a home in heaven above. And this is made manifest to us. By what? The preaching of the Gospel. (laughs) If God has given you life, and then God has called you by His Gospel to obtaining the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that means brought you under the sound of the Gospel and brought you into the church, we ought to be rejoicing. The sun and the moon shall be darkened. Went through this in Revelation chapter 6, speaking of the destruction of the Jews and the law of service. Uh, verse 12, chapter 6, And I beheld when it opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell on the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. The heaven departed, the scroll was rolled together, and every mountain island removed out of its place. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, and every bondman, every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks, the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? This goes back to Malachi, the last chapter also. Read it, put it together, pray about it. But when He opened the sixth seal, when Christ fulfilled the law, when He died upon the cross, there was a great earthquake. Matthew 27. 50, Jesus, when He had cried again with a loud voice, what did He say? Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. It is finished. He didn't whisper it. He didn't give it as a wimp murmuring. He declared it very loudly and yielded up the ghost because He was victorious over death and Satan. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, showing that God did that work and the earth did quake. What do we see? There was a great earthquake and the earth did quake. And the rocks rent. The rocks rent. They were torn in pieces and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after His resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many, bearing witness that Christ raised up from the dead and raised up His people from the dead. The stars of heaven, the sun became black, the glory was taken away from the lost service, as black as sackcloth of hair, the moon became blood, the glory of God was taken, it was not given to them anymore. The illumination of the sun... The grace of God was taken from the church. The stars of heaven, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, the Levitical priesthood fell to the earth. They were persecuted. When it is rolled, and the heaven departed, the law as a scroll, when it is rolled together in every mountain, I will move to another place. And I love this. And the kings of the earth, the Jews, think about this. And the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, Jewish leaders, every bondman, slave, every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Can we say, Masada, the mountain they hid in and committed suicide and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne, the very Son of God whom they rejected, and from the laugh, wrath of the Lamb. And for the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? i got to finish.
the sun and the moon should be darkened. It was taken from them. Oh, but brethren, oh, but brethren. Zechariah. <laughs> 13. Chapter 13, verse 1. In that day, what day? The day of Christ. There shall be a fountain open to the house of David. That's the Spirit of God. To the house, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. Zechariah 14. I'll start in verse 6. This begins talking about him standing upon the Mount of Olives. People say, well, the Lord's going to come back and stand on the Mount of Olives. No, He's not. He's finished that work. Why would the world, when He entered His sin-cursed earth again, He'll appear and it will be destroyed. He stood there once. It shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day what shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. That's regarding the darkness upon the face of the earth was so dark that a man could not see his hand when the wrath of God was poured out upon His Holy Son as He hanged upon the cross of Calvary, His body being made sin for us, and God cannot look upon sin. And it was dark. And I'll say this too, the grace of God, the glory of God outshone the natural light God created in the sun. And it shall be in that day, I mean the physical sun, that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, half of them toward the hinder sea, in summer and in winter, continuous, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall, shall there be one Lord and His name one, Jesus Christ. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion. What did He roar? It is finished. What do we preach? It is finished. Do you know God? Do you love God? Do you desire God? Then God has taken you from the nature of man which is to hate God and brought you into life, into Himself with Christ. Rejoice. Rejoice because God loved you. He saved you. You have not done it yourself. And we preach that Gospel. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake. The earthquake is shaking up. But the Lord will be the hope of His people and the strength of the children of Israel. Now we have hope in Christ in this world. He carries us daily. That's why Paul said if we have hope in Christ in this life only, we're all men most miserable because our hope, Romans 8, is the earnest expectation of the manifestation of the sons of God when our body, spirit, and soul are reunited and we dwell in heaven and immortal glory with Him. And it shall come to pass in that day, the day of Christ, the mountains should drop down new wine. You cannot put new wine in an old container. As it makes, it will destroy the container. New wine must be put in new containers, a new skin, a new goat skin. This was used to teach us of the Gentiles being brought into the kingdom. And here's another one to rightly divide. The children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. That was speaking of Israel and the Jews were cast out of the kingdom of God in the fulfilling of the law. And many would come from the north, the south, the east, and the west and would sit down together with Abraham in the kingdom of God. That is the calling of the Gentiles by Christ. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine and the hills shall flow with milk Nourishing sweet milk. And all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters. There's that Spirit of God. Ezekiel 47. It was ankle deep, it was knee deep, and it gets so deep you couldn't get across it. The Spirit of God. And a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord. I think about that woman at the well. Christ coming up and her being a Samaritan and the Lord asking her for water. You'd ask me, a dog, a Samaritan, to give you water? What did Jesus tell her? The waters that I give, no man that drinks them will ever thirst. They're fountains of living 
waters. That is the Spirit of God. And by the way, while we're on that text, she stood there and spoke with Him and talked to Him and even talked about the Messiah, but did not know who He was until He told her, I that speaketh unto thee am He. That is the revelation of Jesus Christ. When He reveals Himself to you, keep the doctrine true. And a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt, sin, death, depravity, shall be a desolation. It would be no more to a child of God. And Edom, our enemy, remember Herod was an Edomite. Our enemies, Jacob, have I loved yet, Esau, have I hated. Esau is Edom. Shall be a desolate wilderness to a child of God. We have no enemies. We'll never be sinners in the eyes of God again. For the violence, again, I say we have no enemies. What I'm meaning to say is that God judges our enemies. God fights our battles. Today, in the New Testament church, for the violence against the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land, but Judah, the tribe, the people, the children of God, shall dwell forever. Remember Isaiah 2? Forever. The, the children of God will never die. He that believeth on Me hath passed from death unto life. He that believeth on Me shall never die. We'll never be dead to sin. We'll never be dead to hell. We'll never die. And when the body dies, our spirit and soul are with Christ immediately. But Judah should dwell forever. And Jerusalem, there's the church from generation to generation. Now catch that. Let me say it this way very quickly. There are no generations, plural, in heaven. Generations are in the world. Here we marry, we have children from generation to generation to generation. In heaven we shall not marry, nor be given in marriage. We won't bear children because all the children of God are already born of the body, already born of the Spirit. They've been raised back up and will be in heaven in immortal glory forever. So this must be talking generation to generation of the ongoing of the church in the world, of God sustaining a people somewhere in this dark, sinned earth. And Lord, please keep it here for generations who will bring forth witness to the Son of God. For I, Christ, will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed. Gentiles, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. <laughs> Aren't you happy to be in Zion?